It certainly is wonderful to be here with each and every one of you. We appreciate your presence so very much. We have a wonderful crowd here, and as has already been mentioned, if you are a visitor among us, we hope that you would feel as you are, and that is as our honored guest, and we welcome you every time that we have an opportunity to meet. For an introductory text, I invite your attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The New American Standard renders this verse as follows. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. You know, when we think back historically on the Thessalonian church, they were strong in so many ways, but they were being tormented by persecution. They were tossed to and fro, and there was false teachers among them. They were troubled by fear and even troubled by sin. And the Apostle Paul had endeavored to deal with all of these troubling things, all of the turmoil, by giving them instruction. But at the end of this brief letter, he expresses in his benediction, if you will, his heartfelt desire that God would grant them peace in every circumstance of life or, as the New King James says, in every way. The question before us today, though, is this. What was the peace that Paul was talking about? What was he talking about when he talked about a peace that stands up against the circumstances of life? Well, for an introductory remark, let me just mention some things that were said, by written by Paul, before we get into the benediction in verse 16. And I think this just kind of sets it up. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this sets up what he's about to say. Here is, in a thumbnail sketch, chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Paul begins at the very beginning, and he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Now, you know what's interesting about those phrases that he uses in verse 1? I think that there are, I think you can know a lot about a person by the things in which he prays for. You know, I think sometimes people get so in, engrossed in all of the things that they have going on in their life that they fail to remember the things that are really important. And sometimes in our prayers, our prayer life becomes all about us and all about the things going on in our life. Well, Paul was being greatly persecuted. You know what he said? He said, brethren, pray for us. Now, he wasn't asking for an easier life. He wasn't asking to be free from persecution. He even says it. He said, pray for us that why? That the word would have free course. That's what the King James says. It literally means to run without obstacle. The only thing that Paul ma what mattered to Paul was that no one stood in the way of preaching the gospel. You know, he says something else too. I love this. He said that it would run swiftly, the new King James, and be glorified just as it is with you. And really, that's the mission of every Christian. To take the seed of the gospel to the world. That's the mission of the church. Take the seed of the gospel to the world, and it would run without free, with free course, without obstacle. And thirdly, it would be glorified in the heart of the recipient. He begins right there. But then he says this. He said, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not have all the faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. I really had to make that point. I really had to read that verse. You know the word establish means strengthen? 
Have you ever felt that you're just too weak? Have you ever felt that I'm just really struggling in my life? I'm just weak? Have you written off your behavior and choices because you're just weak and you can't help it? These are thoughts that sometimes we have. I just can't help it. I'm weak. But this passage is a promise. He said God is faithful that what? That God will establish you. That means strengthen you. That is a promise from God. Have you ever stopped to consider that in all the things you go through in your life, you don't have to be weak? You can make a choice not to be weak. And if you submit yourself to God, it says if you do that, God promises I will strengthen you and you'll get through it. So he begins by saying pray for us. That the gospel would have free course, it would run without obstacle, it would be glorified in the heart of the recipient. And pray for us that we are removed from the evil one because they're standing in the way of the gospel. That's all he cared about. All right. Then he moves on. And in the next group of scriptures, in uh, verses 6 to 15, he deals with idleness. And from a historical standpoint, you remember that they, after the first letter was written, they misunderstood when the Lord was going to come back. So they gave up doing the things that they should do and their responsibilities, and they became busybodies, and they became uh, engrossed in other men's matters and all of that, and they stopped taking care of their daily responsibilities. Paul corrected that too. And then he gets down to the end. He gets down to verse 16, and he says this, in the benediction, if you will, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. You know, the first two words there, now may, mark a transition. In other words, Paul is going from command and exhortation to petition and prayer. He's expressing not only his prayer itself, but the wish that was in his heart. And in doing so, his wish for them is to experience peace. He's asking for what God has already promised, not what God reluctantly does. You know, really, that's what prayer is all about. It's about requesting things that God has already promised. Things that are available that God has already promised. But they're conditional upon our request in prayer. One man said one time that prayer is lining up with what God has already promised to do or already promised to give. And in this case, it's peace. All right. What is it? What's peace? Here are some definitions of peace. There were some men that were asked, give a definition of peace. This is what they said. One guy said this. One guy said, peace is the sense of calm and tranquility. Another said, it is quietness and bliss. A third one said, it's the feeling you get when you believe everything is well. What else? It's the attitude of tranquility when everything is the way that you would like it to be. Now, you know what's interesting about this? Of all the things that I just put on the screen, do you know you can get every one of those with a pill? You can get every one of these feelings with a pill, with a prescription, with a good night's sleep. Sometimes because we, are, we listen to people, we might, uh, by deception, feel a certain way. But all of these things really are superficial. These are circumstantial peace. So, what is he talking about though? He's talking about things that have nothing to do with the circumstances in your life. 
not produced on a human or circumstantial level. And I got to tell you, do you know why people are looking for this? You know why? And by the way, nobody likes to feel bad, right? Nobody wants to feel bad. You know why most people are looking for this kind of peace? Because this kind of peace is the kind of peace that makes you feel better. You got stress in your life. You got things in your life. Things aren't going the way you would like it to do. You know what? We want that. We want circumstantial peace. We want the circumstances in our life to be different so we can feel better. Most people are looking for these things in their life. Granted, every one of us. But every one of those things can be destroyed by failure, can be destroyed by doubt, fear, difficulty, anxiety. It can be uh, torn apart by violated relationships. How about guilt and shame and regret and sorrow? It can be destroyed by being mistreated or victimized by someone. Destroyed relationships. Now, did you know that everything that I just said, I said a lot of negative stuff. I gave you a list of negative stuff. Everything I said is life. It's life. Remember that country song years ago, Sounds Like Life to Me? It was the description of a guy that had all these things going on. This went, went south on me. This happened over here. And really, all it was was life. So in other words, circumstantial peace is peace that is based on the circumstances of life, but it can be destroyed by things in life. But it's the one that we want because it's the one that makes us feel better. So... What is the peace that he's talking about? What's Paul referring to? He is talking about spiritual peace. What is that? What is spiritual peace? It's confidence that everything is right between myself and God. Did, did you get that? That's it. Spiritual peace is knowing, regardless of the circumstances in my life, that what? First of all, it's confidence that everything is right between myself and God. Remember not long ago, I made the point in a sermon, very recent. And I talked about there's a difference between confidence and conceit. Okay? There's a big difference between that. And there's a difference between arrogance and assurance. Spiritual peace is knowing, and we're going to get to how you know that. But spiritual peace is when you have confidence that everything is right between myself and God, and it doesn't matter what happens to me in my life. Number two, that God is in control of my life in time and eternity. Do you think that way in your life? Do you think that way? When you have all kinds of negative experiences and circumstances, is your mind going to what is really important? Is it spiritual peace? Is everything right between you and God? That God is in control in time and eternity, but there's more. So what I'm saying is this. Spiritual peace is the presence of a calm assurance that everything is well with my soul and it has nothing to do with the circumstances of life. Nothing. It's everything to do with your relationship with God. How is that? Well, first of all, let's talk about this spiritual peace. Number one, some things about it. There's four things. Number one, spiritual peace is divine. If we go to verse 16 of our text, Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself... 
Now, the word, the pronoun is emphatic in the sentence of himself, emphasizing his personal involvement. Notice this. It's the God or the Lord of peace that gives the peace. Do you know why? It's the essence of his nature. God is many things. God is, is justice. God is perfection. How about that? How about God is love? You remember that song we used to sing, Come Let Us All Unite to Sing That God is Love? These are all attributes of God. So in every aspect, when we take a look at God, He is all of those things. Have you ever stopped to consider, though, that in addition to all of that, He Himself is also peace? Now, I don't know about you, but I want to have the kind of peace that is not subjected to the circumstances in my life. I want to have the kind of peace that God gives as the author of peace itself. That's the kind that I'd like to have. Why? God is perfect. He has perfect peace. There's no stress. There's no anxiety. He never worries. He never doubts. He's never unclear. He's never unsure. He is always, as one man said, at perfect calm. He enjoys perfect and eternal harmony within himself. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to be in perfect harmony with yourself? That's amazing. Now, i got to tell you something. I understand sometimes when people have really bad stresses and depressions, that stuff's real. Sometimes people even need medication. What I'm talking about, though, I'm talking about a peace that doesn't need medication. I'm talking about the kind of peace that only comes from God, and it's on a different level. It has nothing to do with the things of life. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has everything to do with confidence, assurance, and knowing. And what is that? It's about spiritual peace. And you know what Paul says? He said, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Why? It's the essence of his nature. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of peace? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33. It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now, folks, I know that people oftentimes in the religious world and in the world itself, they're confused religiously. And you know, I heard somebody say one time that he was against organized religion. And this is what he said. He said, because there's so many different things and there's so much confusion out there, it's impossible to know what's really right. And what's really true. But notice what the Bible says. The Bible says this. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace. Do you know what that means? That means if I'm confused it's not God's fault. If I'm confused it's my fault. And when I deviate from what God said to do. And I'm confused in what I believe. It's my fault. God is not the author of confusion but of peace. God is perfect. God is perfect in every way. He's the author of peace. It's part of his attributes and nature, and he's the giver of it too. We'll get to that part in just a minute. But what about Jesus Christ, and what about the Holy Spirit? Because in heaven, there's three that bear record, the Bible says. There are three that bear record in heaven. There is God, there is Jesus Christ, and there is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and these three are one. And people get that all messed up and they say, you see, there's only one personage in the Godhead. 
No, there's three specific personages in the Godhead. Three persons, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And when it says they are one, it means they are one in purpose. They agree in one. They work together. You've heard me say this, but it's so simple. This is the easiest way to say it. Let's just say me and Chris, we talked about something. And we're going to go to talk to Jack. And Chris and I agreed on that. And we might go to Jack and say, you know what, Chris and, uh, Chris and I, we're, we're one on that. Meaning we agree. That's all that means. Not one personage, they all agree. So, what am I saying? I'm saying that the essence of peace is an attribute of God, but not only God, Jesus Christ too. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is also called the Prince of Peace. He is the bringer of peace. He came and established a kingdom of peace. What about the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit's in there too. Romans 14 and 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me talk about how they work together. Give you an example of that. Let's talk about prayer, for example. Okay? Let's talk about prayer. And let's talk about how we talk to God and how God talks to us. Very simply. You know, Jesus said in John 14 and 6 that no man comes unto the Father except by or through me. And that's in every way. And it includes prayer. So when we pray to God the Father, here's God the Father. When we pray to God, we pray through Jesus Christ or simply put, as our brother prayed just a moment ago, in Jesus' name. We pray through Jesus Christ. So we talk to God on our time. We pray for his providential care. We pray through Jesus Christ. They work together. And what else? When God speaks back to us, he doesn't do it directly. He does so through the word of God, which is the revelation of the spirit. So we pray to God on our time. He answers us on his time. That's through his providential care. But he speaks to us through his word, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's the revelation of the Holy Spirit. They all work together. So saying once more, the source of peace is divine. It is God, it is Jesus Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit, and they are all working together as the source of peace. But number two, what else? What else? It's a gift. It's a gift. In fact, the verse says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Give you peace. In Psalm 85 and 8, listen to this. I will hear what the God, the Lord will speak, what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. So God grants or gives peace to those that belong to him. Now, this is very much part of the New Testament. We can read about it in Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We can read about it in Galatians. We can read it about it in Ephesians and Colossians. And we can read it right here in 2nd Thessalonians. We can find it again in Titus, in Philemon, and so forth. That God is the giver of peace. And you will find in these epistles that peace is given by God to God's people. Let me give you another example in John chapter 20. 
Remember when the Lord walked into the upper room with his disciples? Remember what he said? Remember what he said? He says, peace unto you. He wasn't saying, I hope you're having a nice day. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, oh, I wish you well. No, it is divine, and he was giving them peace. So when the Lord said, peace to you, and several verses say the same thing in John chapter 20. Several verses. They say, peace to you, peace unto you. It's found in verse 19, verse 21, and verse 26. He was giving them peace. Peace to you. Now, here's a really important question. Okay? We have to, we have to look at this. Do unsaved people have the peace that we're talking about? And this is why we have to look into that. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says that when you talk about God's blessings on people, that the sun shines on the just and the unjust, on the godly and the ungodly. You know, all that means is this. There's good things that sometimes happen to people that are not Christians. And sometimes people have prosperity in their life and they're not Christians. That's what that means. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. So my question is this. With that being the case and with peace being a gift that comes from God, I got to ask you, what about this? If the sun shines on the ungodly and the godly alike, do unsaved people have the peace that we are talking about? Well, let's look. Isaiah 57, verse 1. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and who is near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So, first of all, the words far and near here uh, could very well be talking about Jew and Gentile, but that's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is this. What about the peace that God gives? Does God give peace to unsaved people? The answer is no. Stay with me on this. I'm going to prove it to you. But I want to read something from a man that wrote in 1686. He wrote this. He wrote this paragraph. He says, peace, and we're talking about the peace of God. Peace flows from sanctification but the unsaved have nothing to do with peace. They may have a truce, but no peace. God may forbear the wicked a while and stop the roaring of his cannon. But though there be a truce, yet there is no peace. The unsaved may have something that they look like peace, but it's not. This is the devil's peace that rocks men in the cradle of security. He cries, peace, 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 when men are on the precipice of of hell. And then he said, listen to this statement. The seeming peace that a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but the ignorance of his danger. 2012, let me give you an example. 2012, our good friends, Ivan and Gina Costa and Cameron, they came to Bakersfield and they spent all night with us on Friday night. And the next day, in the van, so you had the adults driving. You had Ivan and Gina. They were the adults. They were driving their car. And then you had the kids, the rest of us, in the other car driving. And I had the boys with me. And we're cruising right along. And as we're doing, we're going down the freeway. And you know what we're talking about? Man, we're going to ride Goliath. 
We're going to ride Superman. We're going to Magic Mountain. We're going to have a great time. And I'm cruising along 75, maybe a little quicker. And I'm just cruising right along with not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. I'm with the, I'm with the kids. We're having a good time. We're talking about all we're going to do, right? Well, all of a sudden, I got a call from Ivan. He said, look, we got to pull off. I'm out of gas. So we do. And we're down around the base of the grapevine. We pull off the side of the road. And uh, I happened to just walk in the front of the van. I just walked around to the front. And I looked down. And the tire was coming apart. And it was the passenger side front tire. And it was coming apart. And incidentally, that's my fault. It's Tina's van, but I'm supposed to take care of that and watch for that stuff. I missed it. Okay? So you know what we had to do? We, there's no way we're going to drive to Magic Mountain now. We have to look, and we got our phones out. You know, you can do anything with phones. Found out the nearest place that was only two miles away that sold tires. Now, I'm not driving 75 miles an hour or a little quicker now. I'm in the slow lane. I'm driving Miss Daisy. And I got to tell you, I'm praying the whole time. I'm just thinking at any minute this tire is going to come apart. Fortunately, we made it. Bought a new tire. Put the new tire on the van. No problem, right? Here's my point. When I was driving down the road at 75 miles an hour without a care in the world, I was doing so not because I had knowledge of my security, but I was doing so because I was ignorant of the danger. And folks, that's what happens when an unsafe person feels a feeling of peace in their mind, ignorant of the danger. So I was in perfect peace in my mind, but it was a delusion. There's another kind of peace too. It's called false peace. Let us never be this person ever, please. There's false peace. And I'll just be brief on this. But false peace is confidence based on conceit. It's confidence based on conceit and not fact. It's based on pride and not truth. It's a peace that comes from an understanding of their true condition. But it's a peace that comes from their own conceited assessment of themselves as being worthy. It's kind of like this. I know I'm not doing what's right. I know I'm not serving God as I should. But I think it'll be all right. That's false peace. I'm not a Christian. I haven't obeyed the gospel. I haven't been baptized for mission of my sins. I'm not a member of the Lord's church. But it's all right. I'm a good person. And I think if God is keeping score somewhere, on one side, perhaps on some ledger that he would write down, would be all the good things that I do. On the other side, would be all the bad things. I'm not perfect, so there are bad things. But I think it'll all work out. I know I'm not living right. I'm not doing right. But... I think it'd be all right. That's false peace. It's coming from an understanding of what your true condition is, but thinking it's still going to be all right. Let's never be that guy. Let's never be guilty of false peace. Listen to this. This is a peace, by the way, that separates what God has joined. This is really interesting. In Psalm 85 and 10, look at this. Please look at this. Mercy and truth have met together. And righteousness and peace have kissed. The word literally means fused. Now, we get this, right? We get this. 
Mercy and truth go together. In other words, if I want the mercy of God, I have to obey truth. We get that. They go together. If I want mercy, I have to obey truth. What about this? What about peace? Righteousness is right doing or the outward manifestation of a godly heart in my behavior. Righteousness goes alongside of peace. They're together. They're fused together. If you want the peace that God has and God has promised, it has to go alongside a righteous life in order to have the gift of God's peace. Let me give you another passage. How about this? Deuteronomy 29 and 19. I have peace even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Another translation says, or follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. You know, that's really an amazing phrase right there, that the drunkard can be included in the sober. I remember, I remember in college, I remember a lot of times a young person would get inebriated and they would think that they could act sober and, and nobody would know. You ever, you, ever, you ever seen that? Somebody's really intoxicated, but in their mind, they're absolutely convinced that they could fool everybody. I'm not, I'm not drunk. How many times do people use uh, alcohol or some other substance and get behind the wheel? And in their mind, they're thinking, I'm good. I'm good. Don't you see what he's saying? The false peace that we're talking about, it's described in the book of Deuteronomy 29 as the guy that gets intoxicated and thinks he can fake everybody out. It's the same thing. As if he could be included with the drunkard. That's false peace. He's living under the illusion that you can separate from God what your true condition is, but you can't. And I'll tell you something else too. This kind of peace cannot pass the trials of life. I'm going to tell you right now, please get this. I don't care what your circumstances are. The trials of your life are going to continue on. And it doesn't matter how good you decide to be. You're still going to have the trials in your life. You're going to have them. If we have the wrong kind of peace that is circumstantial peace and that's what we're hanging our hat on, that's not the kind of peace that's going to get us through the trial. It's not. It's not going to get us through. So what kind are we talking about? We're talking about the kind that would welcome a trial. We're talking about spiritual peace. And spiritual peace, by the way, this is our third point, is available. It's available. It's always available. The verse says this. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always or continually. Now, I know this. Sometimes peace can be interrupted. It can be interrupted. You know how? Two ways. Two ways. And both of them are succumbing to the flesh. So the peace that we're talking about that is divine, that is a gift, and that is always available, it can be interrupted by succumbing to the flesh, and that can happen in two different ways. What do you do, though? The first way, by the way, is when you're victimized by doubt and fear, okay? If you doubt and you let the fears in your life beat you and win over faith, you're going to be shaken and you're going to lose your peace. It's going to be interrupted. 
Now, I got to tell you something, folks. I'm not standing before you saying that we're not going to have things we're afraid of. You've heard me say this many times over the years. There would be no such thing as courage if there were no fear. Fear's not the problem. Fear is the problem only when it wins over your faith. And when your fear is pulling you in one direction and your faith is pulling you in the opposite direction. You know what that's called? That's called anxiety. That's called stress. It's strangling us on the inside. If we allow the fear to win, you know what's going to happen? The peace that God said I will give you is interrupted. So what do you do? What do we do if that happens? Here it is. Trust in God. Now, I'm not saying this in a general sense. I'm not saying this in a general sense. And I'm glad, the, I'm glad that the Word of God says this. So it doesn't look like I'm just saying, you know, whatever your problem is, just, you just got to trust in God. Notice, I'm going to get very specific with regards to peace. And we find this in Psalm 42 and 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted or disturbed within me? Hope in God. You got to trust in God. Recently, I preached on faith. I preached on the power of faith. And one of the things that we learn about faith is we learn that faith produces something. And it produces hope. One produces the other. So if you don't have hope that you should have, and you don't have the peace of God that you should have regarding hope, maybe it's because your faith is little and weak. Maybe you're like the disciples who so many times Jesus said, Oh, you of little faith. And what did we learn? We learned that the antidote for little weak faith was persistent prayer. If you're struggling in your faith, start praying more. Wear your knees out praying to God. That is the antidote for little weak faith. Persistent prayer. The psalmist David said, Hope in God. That's one way, by the way, that you can have our peace interrupted. Here's another way. It's when we turn back to sin. Two ways. Turn back to sin or because we doubt. In Psalm 85 and 8, I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. So, two ways that, that this peace can be interrupted. When we're victimized by doubt and fear or when we turn back or turn away from God. So what do we do? What do we do? If we have sin in our life and we lost our peace, all you got to do is make it right. All you have to do is repent. Confess that sin to God and change your life. One of the greatest things about being a Christian is it doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. You can change your life immediately and come back. That's the greatest thing in the world. And by the way, if you mean it, if you really mean it, you're forgiven like the sin never happened. That's some of the greatest things ever. You know what man does? If you keep messing up, people write you off. Not God. God doesn't write you off. If you mean it, they can't just say stuff and not mean it. If you mean it, you're forgiven like it never happened, and you can have the peace restored back to you in your life. Finally, though, there's something else about this peace, the spiritual peace. It is not subject to the circumstances of life. 
And I'm finished. This is our final point. Let me just say this. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way or based on any circumstance in your life. Peace, this peace is not affected by anything in the worldly realm. It's a peace that is built upon confidence that all things are well in the eyes of the Lord with my soul. And nothing in this world can take that from us. Have you ever stopped to consider that nobody in the world can take that away? They can't. But if your mind is set on the things of the world as the most important things in the world, and you don't have your mind fixed on other things and spiritual things, then you'll be tossed to and fro with things that you would lose or gain in life. But if heaven is your goal, and nothing is more important than serving God, that God is in control of your life and time and eternity, it doesn't matter. This world can take it all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Romans 8 and 28, get this passage. It's a very misunderstood passage. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and those who are called according to promise. People misunderstand this passage. This passage, folks, does not mean that if I love God, everything is going to work out. That's not what that means. I've heard people say, well, all you got to do is love God and then God will make it all work. It'll all work out. Nope. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes God allows things and it doesn't work out. It's negative. It's hurtful. It's painful. And we endure that. And we endure that. So Paul was not talking about every single circumstance in my life is going to work out. What it means is in God's plan, everything in God's plan is going to work out for those who love God. And the Bible talks about if you love him, you got to keep his commandments. So I'm talking about a faithful child of God that loves God. Don't worry about the circumstances in your life. Don't worry about whatever's thrown your way because everything in God's plan is going to work out. His plan for salvation. His plan that he never leaves our side. His plan that he, he gives us the strength to endure and persevere. His plan for all the things that we have and all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And most importantly, eternal life waiting us and it doesn't matter what happens to us while we live here. We got that. I'll give you another example though. Let's go down 10 verses from, from chapter 8 and verse 28 of Romans. And I'm going to get specific and tell you Paul also dealt with this. Here are some specifics by the way. These things are going to work together for good. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That stuff. That stuff. That will work together for good. Little side note here. I'm going to be very brief. Little side note. But can God use something that's negative in your life and have a positive outcome by way of its influence on others and serve his purpose? Yes. Yes. And he does that. What I'm saying is it may not work out 
the physical circumstances in life. Sometimes we just have to endure it. Sometimes we just have to make it through. So, in conclusion, and I'm done. We talked about the kind of peace that Paul wanted them to have. This is spiritual peace. It's divine. It's a gift. It's available. And it's there regardless of the circumstances in your life. We, lear we learned also it's given to those who obey God. It then brings a feeling of contentment and a settled attitude. And that guards our hearts like a fortress. And by the way, Philippians 4 and 7 says, I love this. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Another translation means, it says garrison. In other words, all of this, the peace of God that Paul's been talking about, you know what it's going to do? It's going to guard your heart. It's going to guard your heart. I don't know about you, but I think we all need our heart guarded. It's all about the heart. Can you imagine a promise that's so great or a peace that is so great and the world can't even explain it? It surpasses all understanding in your mind. But it's the peace that comes from God. It's divine. It's a gift. It's available. And circumstances will never take it away. And it's going to guard or garrison your heart every day you live. The peace that surpasses all understanding. That is peace regardless of circumstances. I'm through this morning. Thank you so much for your kind listening. We never know the hearts and minds of those that are present. Are you hearing to the sound of my voice and you're not a child of God? The steps to become a child of God are very simple. Romans 10, 17, Paul said, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So hearing the word of God produces faith. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And we understand the word belief there in that passage means having the force to obey. In other words, I find out what the Lord wants me to do in my life. I believe it so much, I'm going to obey it today. What do you got to do? Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Jesus also said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, i got to change my mind. I have to change my life. I've been going in this direction. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live for Jesus. I want to go in the opposite direction. That's repentance. The Bible also says, if you'll confess me before men, Jesus said, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. In Acts chapter 8, we find out exactly what that confession is. That confession is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And upon taking all of those steps, they lead us to the point of salvation. They lead us to the point of the watery grave of baptism. They lead us to that point of salvation. In 1 Peter 3.21, Peter said, The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have never done that, we would, we would love to assist you in doing that today if you would. Maybe you have taken those steps, but you haven't been living as you should. It's time to come back. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. 
and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.